welcome to Tour of Truth with Krista and Company. Today's company is Tina Grant, Teresa Gardner, Mary Cochran, and Barbara Emerson. Hey. Hi, Hi, guys. So happy that you guys are here today and that we're able to share our Bible study with the internet, with the world. We have a study that we've been utilizing, so it's a tool. It's written by Henry Blackaby. It's called Experiencing God. We're going to start with a little bit of the review for our session, our first unit. Henry Blackaby has a few principles that he explains that he wants us to get out of the course, kind of objectives, things he was praying about as he wrote it. The first one is that he's hoping that we'll learn to hear when God speaks. He wants us to be able to identify God's activity in our life, to be able to believe God that He'll do everything that He's promised. We might need to adjust our beliefs, our character, our behavior to Him and His ways. He hopes the study will help us recognize a direction that God is taking in our lives and help us to identify what He might want us to do. And then, you know, experiencing God doing through our lives what only He can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the most critical part of understanding where we're going. There's no course, there's not a pep talk or a program that's going to help us achieve those goals. It's only going to come through our relationship with God. These are things that only the Holy Spirit can do through us. And I I think one thing in here, Krista, is that apart from Him, that we can do nothing. It's truly cleansing ourselves of our self-centeredness right? so that we can totally focus on Him and His will and His purpose so that we're making a difference in His kingdom. And I think that to be able to do that is, is like you're saying, Krista, like have that relationship with God because He wants a personal relationship with us. And to me, that was foreign years ago because my background was, it was just different than it is now. But I would go to church and I prayed and I did all the things that I thought I was supposed to do, but I never knew of a relationship with God. And I did. It was like day and night. It was the biggest difference because I knew that he was pursuing me. And the more I I knew, the more I wanted to know. It was like this thirst for him. And it just really changed my life. And that's when I was able to open my ears, my eyes, and my heart to seek him and to try to hear what he wants to show me and what he wants to do through me in my life. So to me, that was me that aha moment, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know there was such a thing as a relationship with God. So it is the starting point for everything that we're going to be talking about today as well, because it all begins with that relationship with Christ. The Bible tells us that the person without the Spirit of God does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but they consider them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only from the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Right there from 1 Corinthians 2.14, he's telling us, you can't even understand what this word is saying until you first have a relationship with God. People can go to church. In your human thinking, we can reason all we want about what God's Word says, but we'll be getting it wrong. And there are even leaders in the church that are teaching people that may not have the Spirit of God, and so they are getting it wrong and teaching it wrong as well. John 14, 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. And I think that's really important, too, because we know that we're living in a time where it's just hard to know what to believe, right? It's Mm -hmm. hard to know who Mm -hmm. is telling us the truth. But we know that there is an absolute truth. There is a highest truth, and that is the Word of God. And so John 14, 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Mm -hmm. There's another verse that says you don't need a man to teach you that it'll be the Holy Spirit that'll teach you. And I love that because if, you know, God is not the author of confusion. So there's something in your spirit that is telling you, I don't know if what I'm being taught is true. 
that's probably the Holy Spirit's prompting right. to say, get into the yeah. word. I'll teach you what's true. Yeah. Well, even when Jesus left the disciples and he said, I'm leaving so something better can come. And in my mind, that would have been like, what can possibly be better than Jesus? You know, but Jesus couldn't be with us all the time. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit came and he is with us all the time in everything we do. So going back to what you were saying earlier about the relationship, that is one of the things that I have really loved and appreciated about this study. That reminder that it is God that pursues a continuing love relationship with us. For me, everything stems from that. And I love how he just drove that point home over and over again in the study. Before we started the study, I was in a place where I just needed to be reminded 10,000 times that it is God who initiates the love relationship. Even though that knowledge was in my head, this study has helped get that knowledge back into my heart. And we had talked on previous podcasts about the fact that there are a lot of people who are not presenting the whole truth or people who are not searching for the whole truth. And so we have a lot of people that profess Christianity, but there has been no change in their lives because they prayed a prayer but never went on to become a disciple. Jesus said to make disciples, not to make converts. I do think that this is a problem. On the flip side of that, though, I have a tendency to overcorrect and swing over into the ditch on the other side of the road where the Galatians fell into. (laughs) And after starting my life in the Spirit, I will try to become perfect by obeying the law. And the Bible tells us that no one can ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So what happens for me personally when I start to fall into that ditch of trying to be good enough my relationship with the Lord suffers because I'm like a dog that's just had an accident in the house. So when the master comes in, I'm in the corner with my tail between my legs because I'm so sin conscious. And I don't draw near to the master because I feel guilty. So that frame of mind for me, that it's God that's pursuing a love relationship with me is so vital. We love him because he first loved us. And I just want to put that out there, even though I know we'll be getting deeper into that later on. Because we're going to get into obedience, right? And so that's where people get confused sometimes Mm -hmm. with this whole thing. Because like you had said before, there's so many things in the Bible that we find this to be true and that to be true. But they're both true. Absolutely. You just have to understand the context of it. Yes, and And obedience. Yes, obedience should definitely be a fruit of our salvation, but we have to remember it's not the root of our salvation. And we can get things out of order sometimes. And I know that I fall prey to that a lot. And apparently the whole town of Galatia as well. (laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot of people... I mean, I can certainly relate to that because, you know, you think, oh my gosh, if I do something wrong, is how bad am I in trouble, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people would share that sentiment too. So, And when we study the Bible, we shouldn't base our decisions, the decisions that we're making for our lives or how we're processing the thoughts on one isolated verse or mm-hmm. even a particular story. Instead, what we're learning is that we need to learn from Scripture how God generally works and what He says throughout His Word because He's told us in Scripture that He does not change. I think that's really important. And if we're processing our thoughts through His Word, we're able to make our decisions and evaluate our experiences through the lens of biblical truths. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. You know, the Lord does not lie. His word is the truth. He told us right there. He doesn't change. So there's so much that we see about who God is. And we learn the heart of God 
through reading about God, you know, mm-hmm. and all of the things that were written to us in, in his scripture that were meant to be examples to us in throughout the Old and the New Testament. But we, we so often, don't we look to the things of the world for solutions and methods that seem to be the answers mm-hmm. to our spiritual problems? Sometimes where I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, I'm dealing with this. Let me go get a book. Or But the reality is, what's the highest truth? Right. It's, it's the Word of God. Word. I've been researching church history and different things, and so I'm reading through different fathers of, of the faith. But it doesn't even matter how they perceived it right. because they viewed it through their lens. Right. And unless they were in that right place, they were not perfect. And some of those things they didn't get right. Mm-hmm. And so we always still have to go back to what did God say? Yeah, yeah you do want to go get a book, but you want to go get the <laughs> book. Yes, yes. The biblical truth. Yes. yes. So one of the things that he was talking about in this unit, you know, the fact that God is always at work around us mm-hmm. and that when we're in an intimate relationship with him, that's when we will know his will and experience experience him in new ways and he says that this cannot happen by following a spiritual formula and Mm -hmm. it goes it points back to that relationship that we need to be led by him every day and be in that intimate relationship with him he goes on to say that jesus is our map and if this study had been written a little more recently i think he would say that jesus is our gps but god doesn't just want to tell us where to go he wants to tell us how to get there and hopefully an 11 day journey won't take us 40 years (laughs) you know and if god's word is going to be our guide let's talk about what we see in the bible does god call people to follow him without giving them all of the details in advance doesn't that happen i mean he does it often right he called abraham that way absolutely and let's look at a couple of examples Teresa, would you mind reading matthew 4 verse 18 and 20 okay As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Let's look at a couple more. Tina, you have one. Yes, I'll read Matthew 4.21 through 22. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so the key in those two verses right now is Jesus is saying, follow me, right? Mm-hmm. Then we have another verse, Matthew 9, 9, and it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. And then we've got Acts 9, 1 through 4. Mary, will you read that one for us? Absolutely. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So sometimes we're given more detail than other times, especially when we look at how God communicated with Moses and the children of Israel. But with the disciples, God basically said, follow me and I'll show you. But in every case, the imperative theme was that they had to stay close to God for guidance. To be able to hear him? Yeah. And, and obey. And, and life has landmines, right? A few of us, even a few of us that are at this table, we're taking a trip to Israel soon. 
and we're registered with a safe traveler program through the U.S. Embassy. So we'll get notifications about what's going on in Israel as we travel. I recently got an email with a warning and it was from the U.S. Embassy and it said don't venture off exploring in certain areas due to the wars in the past because there's unknown landmines that are still a current threat. I'm certainly free to make my own choice, but the guidance that they've given me isn't meant to restrict me. It's intended to preserve my life. And this is what we find in God's Word. As I walk with the Lord, He says, don't go this way because that path will kill you. Go this way and live. It's like a parent that tells her child, don't go touch the fire because you'll get burned. It's the same thing, obviously, in a different scale, but He has these laws or these command so we protect ourselves because we are weak in flesh and we will easily go there but if we trust him and that he does this out of love for us to protect us then we won't be thinking oh my gosh he just doesn't want me to do this because being too strict or whatever we see it in different eyes and he's just trying to protect us. what you just Mm -hmm. said if we trust him is so important because if we don't trust him we're going to struggle to obey him and if we don't trust him the truth is according to scripture we don't love him but if we come to know him he reveals himself to us. That's the beautiful part. And we fall in love with him and then we trust him and we obey him. The Bible is crystal clear on this point. It says, if you love him, you will obey him. And if you don't obey him, then you don't really love him, regardless of what you say. And we can find that in John 14, 24. You know, I heard someone give an example one time, you know, you mentioned landmines. And if you were with a soldier somewhere overseas and you both had to cross a field and the soldier told you, listen, I need you to stay right next to me because there are landmines in this field, but I already know where all of them are. You wouldn't respond with, oh, don't try to control me. You're too restrictive. Don't try and put all these rules on me. I'm my own person, you know? And I think sometimes that's how we can react to God's commandments is we think, oh, his rules are so hard. They're so restrictive. But really, he's just trying to keep you from stepping on a landmine. They are for for our good and for our protection. You know, I used to think that too, that it was just, it's so restrictive. And I think until you really uh, look at it through his eyes, that it's love. And Barbara, you shared about being a parent Mm -hmm. and it's out of that love that he knows what's best for us. And so we have to trust to know that his love is greater than what we can imagine. And that it's that compassion that he has for us that drives things that he tells us to do or to not do. So let's talk about God's will. If you're a Christian, we all want to know what God's will is. And one of the things I've appreciated in this study is how he's brought us down that path of understanding how to identify and how to really know that we can be in the right frame of reference when we're thinking of what is God's will for me and, and how to, yeah, exactly, how to find out and how to know that. John 5, verse 17 and then 19 and 20 say this, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater things than these. So who does that verse say is always at work? Father. God is always at work. Yes. And how much can the son do by himself? Nothing. Nothing. And so why does the father show the son what he's doing? Because he loves him. Yeah, exactly. So in these verses, Jesus clearly states how he knew what to do. He watched to see where his father was working and he joined him. 
Paul said this in Philippians 2, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took on the humble position of a slave or a servant and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So if we're going to have the same attitude of Christ, then this is telling us that Jesus humbled himself to be a servant. Jesus gave the disciples instructions then about servanthood, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, even if we put it like to our life, he gives a great example in here too, but it's like, what is God's will for my life? And sometimes that could be the wrong question. The right question in his word is, what is God's will, period? Right. So then we can adjust our life to his will instead mm -hmm. of, hey, God, this is what I want. You know, can you make it happen? Like open the doors for me or shut the door, you know, that we could sometimes be confused on. Like if he's closing this door, that must mean that he doesn't want me to go down that door. But in fact, maybe because it's a hard road, that's the road we need to take. And we need to learn to trust in him and to identify when he's speaking to us so we can recognize where he's at work and how we adjust our life. Right. So in, in Matthew chapter 20, it says, But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life a ransom for many. And then Jesus identified what our relationship should be like with him. He said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. John twenty twenty one. You know, what's the definition of a servant? A servant is someone who finds out what his master wants him to do and does it. The world's concept of a servant is that a servant goes to the master and says, what do you want me to do, master? The master tells him, and the servant goes off by himself and does it. But that's not the biblical concept of being God's servant. A servant of a human master works for his master, but God works through his servants. I wanted to share this. Um, my husband said to me before I left here to come to the podcast, you know, he said, how are you going to keep up with the sprinters there in the group, you know, the ones who speak fast, who really think fast? And so it, it had me thinking, you know, well, well, thank goodness it's not about me for one and that I'm just a servant, you know, and it says that if we want to learn to be servants of God, that we must be moldable and we must remain in the hand of the potter to be effective and that we must be obedient do as we're instructed and remember that God is the one that's accomplishing the work. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. You know, there's a verse in Jeremiah that you're talking about with the clay and the potter. It's Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6, and it says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? declares the Lord, like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, mm -hmm. Israel. And we know through scripture that when the Bible identifies Israel, that we also are heirs. We are adopted as sons, which now, you know, when it talks about Israel, that includes us. Mm -hmm. So he's saying mm -hmm. we're clay in the hands of the potter. Mm -hmm. You're yes. right, Teresa. And we have to be moldable. And so, you know, to be moldable means that we need to be responsive so he can make us into an instrument that he can mm -hmm. use. What you just read before is like, Jesus, Jesus came here to be a servant. I mean, I, every time I, I hear 
verse or, or this message, it just honestly makes me want to cry because he didn't have to do that and mm-hmm. he loves us so much that he did it. And that was a little bit in our message at church this morning, which I know is different from this, but it always kind of goes along with what we're doing, which also blows my mind. It's just how he didn't have to do that and he did. So how can we not want to be moldable like he was? Like he's the son of God. He adjusted himself. He, he humbled himself for us. And mm-hmm. to me, it's just, it makes me love him so much more and trust him so much more. All these things that come along with a relationship it just wants me to do it even more because right. I want to make him proud because I love him so much because he did that you for want to us. Honor so. him. <laughs> John 20, um, 12, 26 says, Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. We're called mm-hmm. to be servants. Teresa, if I could just refer to what you had just shared and, and the question that your husband asked you, I have to tell you that reminds me of a parable that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 25. And it talks about a man who was going away on a trip and he entrusted three servants with bags of money. It says that he gave one bag to one, two bags to another, and five bags to another according to their abilities. And sometimes when I read that story, I, you know, kind of laughingly say, Lord, I I know you only gave me one bag, you know, (laughs) but that's really not what's important. What's important is that we we don't bury it, you know, that we invest it into God's kingdom. Because as you see with Jesus, what he can do with one little boy's lunch, you know, anything that we put in the hands of God, he's able to take that and multiply that and use that. And that's who he considers faithful. It it wasn't just the servant who had five bags that was considered faithful. The servant with two bags was also considered Mm -hmm. faithful. And if, if we even just have one bag to deal with we can put it in God's hands and we'll be counted faithful Mm -hmm. and you know uh, another thing that can that encourages me along that line in Galatians 6 it says pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else and sometimes I can look around at people all around me I'm like oh they're so gifted by God they're so anointed by God they've got this going on but you know what what I have is from God I'm gonna work with what I've got and yes. that's all that God asks of me he doesn't ask me to do what other people can do he only yeah, asks me to do that. what Mary can so do perfect. speaking of working with what you got Mary I don't know about you, but I always want to be doing something. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of things that we can keep ourselves busy with, even things that are spiritual that would seem like, you know, we're doing godly things. God doesn't want us just doing things for him if it means skipping the relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what we've been talking about. There may be a time that God asks us to start doing things, but he wants us first to just be still with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just remove ourselves from the noise, from the crowd, from everything, and just stop and listen and listen for him. And that's mm-hmm. one thing that I've been learning through this study. And I know we'll get more into it later, but we have to be able to pray and talk to him and praise him. But then we got to pause and listen. I haven't been doing that. And mm-hmm. I'm learning that. And it just makes really the biggest difference because I can actually pay attention to him and try to discern between my own voice and what God is trying to tell me. One of the things I think is really exciting that that we've been learning as well is that when God's about to do something, He reveals it. Mm -hmm. He does. He tells us in His Word in Amos 3.7, it says, Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plans to His servants, the prophets. So He reveals what He's doing because He has to get us from where we are to where He is. And it's everywhere in the Bible. Right. It is. And we can't stay where we are and go with God. And even in this particular study, in the first one, it talks about, you know, God is a worker around us all the time. What I'm hearing you all say as well is that we have to be in relationship with Him for us to have the eyes to be able to see that. And that was one of the things that it reminded me of as well as we've gone through this study is just to, when I'm in the relationship with Him, be looking for it. So often we can get so busy that we're not pausing to really look for Him. 
in the yes. day-to-day. Do you remember when God spoke to Moses? You guys yes. remember that in the burning bush? I want to take a look at that. I want us to just kind of close up with the story of Moses. God brought Moses to a crisis of belief. And we're not on that week where we're talking yet about crisis of belief, but still just to kind of see how all of these principles we're going to be learning are demonstrated here in the life of Moses, I think mm-hmm. will be good for us to kind of journey down back yes. through that. Teresa, can you read us that story in Exodus? Yes. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, Take off your sandals from the place you are. You are standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and a home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. <laughs> and I'm having trouble saying no. <laughs> Let me just tell you, if you can say all those names, you, did. you get a gold My star. Eyes were like, <laughs> I was like, really? The point here is that God spoke to Moses to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. God's invitation for Moses to work with him led Moses to a crisis of belief, and it required faith and action. Moses expressed his crisis of belief with these kind of statements. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then Moses said also to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they ask me, What is his name? What do I tell them? Well, if they do not believe me, Lord, or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you, And then he also said, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm of slow speech and tongue. And then finally, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. That's like even just within our daily life, like, well, I'm not good at this. Like even speaking at this podcast, some of us may not be so comfortable in the microphone, get nervous, including myself. It's scary sometimes, but we have to trust God. And sometimes that's what he really wants because we're not in in our comfort zone. And he's like, just trust me because it's not you. It's me doing it through you. So it's easy to just almost want to smack Moses (laughs) because you're like, we're reading it as an audience in a way. But we do that all the time. That's where we have to adjust. Absolutely. I think it's true. And it's such a privilege that God wants to use us to get things done on the earth. And we can all relate to how Moses was feeling. And in Exodus 14, when it tells the story of the parting of the Red Sea, God told Moses to raise his staff. And it was God that parted the sea. So I think sometimes, as Christians, God can give us an assignment. And we think God is saying, hey, Mary, I want you to go part the Red Sea. But really what God is saying is, Mary, I just want you to raise your staff and Mm -hmm. I'm going to part the Red Sea, you know? And so sometimes we need to remember God's going to work through us. He's not asking us to do something for him. He's asking us to let him do something through us. So obedience is involved, but God does the work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Moses had to make major adjustments in his life to join God in what he was doing, right? right. Hebrews 11 actually says, By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And by faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. So Moses came to know God by experiences as he obeyed God, and God accomplished his work through Moses. There's a great quote in the study by Henry Varley, and it says, The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And there's a saying out there that I love, and I think it's so true and really applies to what we're talking about. It says, God isn't as concerned with your ability as he is your availability. Mm. And, you know, God has a history of using ordinary people because, really, who else could he use? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's funny when you look back at, at his army, we have Noah, who was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. (laughs) Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson spent the night with a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. (laughs) So one of the things that he says in the study is when you believe nothing significant can happen through you, you have said more about your belief in God than you have declared about yourself. I mean, ladies, yeah. God can use a donkey, right? Absolutely. <laughs> right. So there, there's hope for all of us. And you know, a good friend of mine at home uses a term that I absolutely love, and it is Godfidence. You know, we don't need to have confidence in ourselves and our abilities and what we can do, but we do need Godfidence. Yeah. We can have confidence in our God. Amen. Wow. That's really cool. cool. That you shared. We can be used by God and for mighty things, just in our ordinary abilities and just who we are. He's not looking for perfection. Perfection. He's not looking for those people that are already equipped. He's going to equip exactly. those that he's calling. It kind of does go back to what Teresa was saying. Thank goodness it isn't about us and what we can do in our abilities. Seriously. <laughs> it's true. Yep, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I think it just comes down to the fact that one ordinary Christian in the hands of our almighty God can do anything that God commands. Paul said, that God deliberately seeks out the weak things and the despised things to use them because from them he receives the greatest glory. This is so encouraging because this means that if you feel weak, limited, or ordinary, you're in the best position and you're the best material that God works through to accomplish great things for the kingdom. Well, it's time to wrap it up. So Mary, would you mind praying for us? I would love to. Heavenly Father, what can we say about how amazing you are. We just come to you today with thankful hearts because you are so good. The fact that you have paid a price for our freedom, the fact that you have sought us out and adopted us, and your word says that that gave you great pleasure. Lord, you are so good to us. We are so grateful, and may we never lose the wonder of your great love and mercy for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 
So thank you all for joining us. If you would like to listen again or if you'd like to listen to future podcasts, you can find us at touroftruth.com and you can also find us on Facebook. We will look forward to chatting with you again soon.